Welcome to Janelle Jones Empowerment Podcast. We're here to help you know, love, be, and live your dream life. We talk about reaching your dreams and all that's in between. We hope you enjoy the message. Hey, 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 now is Janelle Jones on another episode of Girl You got this podcast and we are here again with coach Rhea with her anthology series of never let a good crisis go to waste. Listen, we are going to dive into all the authors in this series as they share their story and their part of the secret prayer of a righteous black woman, the power of a mother's prayer. Now y'all already know y'all need to go get your collection plates. Y'all need to go get your pens, your pencils and everything you need because they are going to drop some gems for you to get. All right. So we're going to start with Miss Rhea and she is going to share with us really the visionary behind or vision behind the book, The Secret Prayer of a Righteous Black Woman. So welcome Coach Rhea. Tell us more about your vision. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it's such an honor to be here. As you know, you know, this book was inspired to me by God. And when I say that, I mean it with every sense of the word. And as we know, mothers of colors, we bear an added burden that only we could understand. And, you know, it caused us to be living in this, in, in, in fear, because we worry about our children day in and day out. And when God instructed me to write this book, this book is supposed to be a book to help mothers get that breakthrough they need so that they could walk in freeness as mothers to parent their child under God's love. So, you know, this book is truly an inspiration for all Black mothers, because as we know with what's going on in the world today and even in past history, you know, we have been dealt a very... A tough card as it relates to being black and to being a black parent. So that's the 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 inspiration for this book and the mission is that it will heal hearts and that it will be able to become a staple in the home and help you know the the, the black parent to be able to walk in their boldness and to be able to parent their child in the way God wants them to do that. Mm. And I really, I cannot emphasize enough how much of an importance it is for us to really not just carry on the weight of the world, but really to identify what God is telling us to do with our children, because we can hold them captive sometimes by just like fearing and being very overly parenting or helicopter parents while we're not really trusting God with our children. So this book is so powerful for those of you most of you who struggle with this. All right. So next we're going to hear from Miss Deborah. Miss Deborah, tell us who you are. Tell us more about yourself and what do you do? Oh, I'm a mother of three children and two grandchildren. I'm also a mother of approximately 10 inherited children and um, also 10 inherited grandchildren. Um, I'm presently the manager of my family-owned company, uh, Small Wonders Children's Boutique in Wyckoff, New Jersey. And previously, I was a newborn care nurse in the United States for over 20 years. 
That's awesome. So it sounds like you have a lot of background with children. Um, so being able to like focus on them is awesome. Yes. Yes. Okay. Love it. So Miss Leslie Ann, tell us more about who you are. Well, hello, hello listeners. My name is Leslie Ann and I too have two beautiful, wonderful kids God have blessed me with, my boy, my girl. And I do reside in the United States. I'm a national of Trinidad and Tobago, beautiful twin island. And, um, you know, I am in the field of childcare, which is a field I adore because to me, this is the area where I have the most impact. That young mind is where I touch and influence and I love that field. So that's what I do and that's who I am mother and a child care provider. Thank you so much, Miss Leslie Ann, for sharing. She said that she loves to impact young children because that's where they're most influenced. And that is so true. And really, you'll begin to see as we do this series why it's important to make really positive impressions on your children's mind so that they can have positive impressions as adults. All right, next we're going to talk to Miss Rhonda. Miss Rhonda, tell us more about who you are. Hi guys, my name is Rhonda Small Peters. I'm a servant of God, foremost, a wife, a mother, sister. Um, my ministry began with a call by God to go and tell his people to prepare for his coming. I've been a missionary preacher on the roadside for 10 years. I'm the founder of Mount Olive Spiritual Baptist Tabernacle of Praise, out of which I've established an outreach called the Bread Basket Ministry, which really lines up with my passion, which is waging war against hunger, especially childhood hunger. I also have extended my ministry to be able to accommodate the homeless or, you know, to use the more politically correct term, the socially displaced. To me, it's all about reaching out to God's children, demonstrating God's love. That's where my passion lies. That's where my focus is. And basically, that's where my life revolves. My, my life revolves around God foremost, and then my family. Well, I have to say that you are doing a lot, and I love it. I absolutely love how you said that you are to demonstrate God's love and how much we need that in the world, because it's absolutely lacking. But I'm very impressed about all the things that you are doing with the homeless, with the hunger. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. We really appreciate you actually doing God's work. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Tennessee. Well, um, I'm a mother of um, three children, two boys and a girl. Actually, today's my daughter's birthday. Happy birthday, Karasai. Um, I'm currently in the field of um, child care. I'm a newborn care specialist. And um, I do enjoy working with children. I've been in this field for maybe eight, nine years. Um, I'm a newborn care specialist. And um, I do have a passion for young women and women. I do um, mentoring. I have my, I mentor younger women, teenagers. I want to start like a support group for women who are in situation or were in situation like myself. Um, my story is really based on the fact that I raised my children from afar and I do hope where I can um, reach out to other women to provide a support system to them and teenagers, children who are away from their parents, 
parents who have, for whatever reason, have to be away from their children. So um, my, my future aim is to continue working with other women who is in situation that I have experienced. Awesome. Um, all you ladies have a theme. Like It seems like this bunch of authors actually talk about getting into working with, I heard all of you mentioned working with children somehow, some way. I know that you're working with other entities like homeless shelters and things like that, but somehow, some way you all, your court is working with children or you all have mentioned working with children, which is, is where it starts. And I think that you're all doing a great work. So it's such a pleasure to have you. Now we're going to get into actually talking about your inspiration. So Coach Rhea, Really, I want you to talk about like the inspiration. We talked a little bit about last week about your inspiration with the book, but really just the visualization in the heart of the people and wanting to reach them. What inspired you to do that? Well, as you know, I am someone, you know, who like to make an impact on people, specifically a positive impact. And with this anthology, to be quite honest, you know, I share it uh, in my circle. At the beginning, it wasn't something, Janelle, that I, that I taught her. It always come back to God. And he instructed me to do this. And at that time, I was like, God, this is such a heavy, you know, um, topic that you want me to talk about, right? We're dealing with so many different things, you know, like, um, racism, you know, and all the, the injustices that happened with Black people. And then we're also touching on the personal things, you know, um, some other factors as well. But, you know, what God shared to me, he was like, my people are in bondage, right? Because they are walking around burden and fear. And as a result, God, he doesn't want us to be in fear. He wants us to be free, right? He wants us to, to not be living in this mental and emotional bondage. And this ontology is that way to help them to get to that freedom. Because, you know, when we live in fear, then we are unable to really walk in our calling. And um, one of the main fear Black mothers, you know, deal with day in, day out is the fear for their children's safety. Um, you know, I, I often say that, you know, um, our children, are, we can refer to them as endangered species. Every day on the news, we are hearing someone is being killed, someone is, is being you know, hurt, someone is missing. And that ignites a fear, not just for that particular mom in that, in that instance, but for each and every one of us who are looking at the news and hoping that that child is found, or who are looking at the news and grieving with that parent who just lost their child. And it caused us now to become so fearful for ours. And God wants us to know that we have to trust him. He wants us to know that he is in control, not the police, not what happens in the world, but him. And if we cast our fears on him, he will be able to direct our path and he'll be able to, to keep us. And, and this is what this anthology is meant to do. It's intended to enlighten moms so that they can understand where they should put their focus. 
And they fear that are normal where they should direct the fear so that they could get that breakthrough that is needed and they could be healed. And also the children, because when we live in fear, we project that onto them. So they become casualty of our fear. And it is unfair, it's unfair for them because they are being brought up in, in, in an environment where they cannot be trusting or, or where they are anxious. And that is, you know, part of the inspiration behind this book. It's just really to, to, to it's a blueprint and it's to really help um, all moms to get that breakthrough. Now that is powerful. You said a lot of things that was just like, I can just close my eyes and see like the headline news, right? One thing you said that we're becoming, our kids are becoming endangered species, that is like, you know, you think about an endangered species, like I think bees are becoming endangered, but we need those. We need that stuff to live and just to think about a community of people just kind of being endangered or, you know, really labeled as endangered is so scary to me. The casualty of fear, that's something our, we got to grip as parents, right? We are caught in that crossfire Unfortunately, from the history of our society and communities, we haven't seen pleasant things. So we naturally take on that fear, but we're not really utilizing the fear or coping with it, with it the best way we can. And it's becoming a casualty to our children. That's awesome. That's awesome. Just those two headlines can, be, can make headway. Okay, now we're going to talk to Ms. Deborah. Ms. Deborah. Tell us when it came to writing this, I think this anthology is amazing. And I'm not just saying that because I love Rhea. I think it's absolutely amazing and it's much needed. So tell us from your perspective, what made you decide to actually share or participate in this dynamic anthology? So um, I met Rhea, Coach Rhea on Facebook. One of my friends had um, introduced me to her through Facebook, we became, we started business together because she had the children's work and I wanted to carry some to support another sister at the store, at our store. And so that's how our relationship developed. And then she got around to telling me about the ontology. And, um, and I was like thinking, sounds good. Let me just talk to my family. And, but I was, I had two minds about it but I was still hearing her in my head. So when I went to my family, my son and his wife decided like, mom, you've been wanting to do this or something like this. I wanted to write a book about my, my walk as a teenage mom, you know, all my ups and downs. And, 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 and so my son was like, you got to do this mom. So then I told her, yes, I'm interested, but I, you know, she encouraged me. I had so many stories that I wanted to tell. And then it was really the one where I wanted to reach out to black moms, moms in general, teenage moms, um, to share my story, to let them know like it's, it's, it's hard at the beginning, but you just have to press forward. And what I did, I had to turn everything over to God. And so, I am really excited and, and happy to be a part of this to tell my story. That's awesome. So 
you felt the need to get that out there to share with other parents Yes, from your story of being a teenage mom to share yes. like some of your concerns Yes, as a mother. That's as awesome. Mother. Yeah. Yes. Um, that's awesome. 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 All right. We're going to get into Miss Leslie Ann. We're going to talk to you. Tell us what made you join this awesome anthology? Oh, Miss Janelle, I joined this anthology because I believe there was a story to be told. And I believe my story is not the old. I'm not the only person with this story or even with this fear, I should say. And I felt like because I was an overcomer in that fear, it's right to help others if I can, even if it's one mother, because it's so hard sometimes. And I did it as a single parent. And I know how hard just that role of parenting while single, raising a black boy can be. And I wanted to take this opportunity to share with any other mother who feel like they can't, that they can, because I did. And if I can do it, you can do it. Mm. Yes, you single mom, you can do it. So that's my inspiration. I just wanted to give someone else the hope that it's not a lost cause. Mm. You can make it. It will be, you can successfully raise this black child and God is right there to help you throughout the way. You're not doing it alone, because that was my story. I found out I was not parenting alone. All the white thinking, I was a single parent. Mm -hmm. I was not doing it alone. So I wanted to share that hope to someone else. And that's awesome to really understand that even in your single parenting, you're not alone. How many women need to hear that, especially women who are raising black children? Because there is such a double standard or stereotype when it comes, not even a standard or stereotype, it's an extra fear. Um, you know, when you look at... Mm -hmm. Statistics, statistics say that when it comes to the black community, there's only 13% of the African-American community. I know in the United States, however, I think over half of that, you know, like 50 something percent in prison is African-American. So if you look at the numbers and you say, okay, we have this population of people who this population of people only make up 13%. However, over half of this population is in prison. And then we're not even talking about, we're not even getting down to those who are getting killed, you know, mm -hmm. by people who are supposed to protect us or even what's going on in the community. So we have to really look at that dynamic. It's very, it, it's just something is wrong with that picture. That's my easy way of saying that. If you look at the numbers and say, oh my gosh, so many people are really in the position that they're, I mean, it, it's not adding up. And we're steady trying to take circle pings and put them in a square puzzle and it's not fitting, right? So yeah, we're gonna, we gotta do better. Miss Rhonda, tell us why you decided to join this amazing dynamic anthology. Believe me when I tell you that I had to really pull myself out of my comfort zone to be a mm. part of this because although I'm used to going where God sent me and doing whatever he asks of me, I don't really like to talk about myself and my experiences in depthly. There are certain parts of my life that I've locked away. And I think that this is a time where God is calling me to share a little bit 
more of the life lessons that I've learned through my experiences so that I can be able to strengthen and encourage others from a, from a, from a different place, you know, because there are a lot of mothers out there who are hurting. There are a lot of children who have been impacted by violence and their lives have been torn apart. My story revolves around the death of my first son's father and mm -hmm. the fears that I developed coming out of that, fears that I've never really touched on, you know, fears that I never really shared with anyone. But I'm thankful for this opportunity and I'm thankful that Coach Rhea knew that I had a story to share because this, this book has given me a springboard, so to speak. It's a starting point whereby I can really open up and maybe be able to connect with the people who I engage with from a deeper level because you know it's going to give them an insight into who I am and where where I came from and what has shaped me and made me the person that I am and basically I'm a mother I have five boys and you know that comes with fears that comes with some terrible thoughts and nightmares because you look at the world and you see what's taking place and there is no way that you can remain aloof from that or outside of that even if you are not a parent, you're going to be impacted. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, for me, it has been really heartbreaking to be able to recognize that, you know, we are not all treated equally. We are not all allowed the same opportunities. And for some of us, we are more prone to certain things simply because of our race. And, you know, so this is something that I think that impacted me. And I'm really thankful for the opportunity to be a part of this to be able to share. And it has truly been a healing experience. And I think that's awesome. Um, just really wanna say, if you listen to your, your story, the pain that comes from losing someone traumatically, right? And then how that pain kind of reside or we created a residue for your own children, right? A lot of us that go through a trauma and a, a traumatic event, and we try to protect our kids by any means necessary because we don't want them to go through it as well. And I think that is so powerful to really share that story of, you know, you, you said first, I didn't even share my pains or my feelings with this. So that has to be an awakening. And then you talk about how writing your story was very therapeutic, which a lot of people, I'm telling you, so many people do not want to get into that realm of writing because they're afraid of going back to their story because they think they're going to be re-traumatized. And the truth is you might be, but it is a healing part in writing. There's a therapeutic part to writing out your story. So this is just amazing. I, I, I absolutely love it how you took this and turned it into something that can help other people, even your children. And Janelle, if I could interject before uh, you move on to the next question, I just want to add this because it came into my spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, as we were going through this program, you know, we meet each week and the first uh, three weeks we dealt with healing. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, I said, you know, when we write this book and we put this book out, our fears need to be in past tense, which means that we should no longer be living in this, um, in that state of fear mm -hmm. um, over, the, over these issues. 
So I actually had some authors, some parents who this fear was actually present in, you know, at the moment. And we had to go through that. You know, mm-hmm. it has sometimes where they experience the, the struggle because they didn't want to go that deep or they didn't realize that the hurt was still there. And now they were stirring up these old wounds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but um, I was expecting that because as you know, and I know writing can be therapeutic and, you know, God wants to release us all. And he's using this body of work of, um, of moms, right? And it was so important for them to get that breakthrough. And it was so um, with me interacting with them on a one-on-one level, these moms who were struggling to see that breakthrough and to see them go deep and mm. to see the emotional effect this hurt had on them, it just gave a, a, a more insight to the moms out there who are basically doing it on their own. Because remember, we're talking about the secret fear. So it's secret. It's not something that we're walking around telling everybody about. So we're actually suffering in silence. Mm-hmm. And this gives them that opportunity to really work on that fear and to break free. And I know, again, that this book is going to help the other moms that they read it to be able to find that springboard where they could, you know, spring forth from and, and, and see the light at the end of the tunnel. I love, I love it. I love it. So it's, it's going to a space where you're not claiming that, you know, you're hurting from the event or that you're claiming that you're moving past that part of your life and of your story where you are you're able to identify yes this is something that happened to me but I am able to move forward because you're right unfortunately when we're in positions where we're still you know being dragged down by our issues or traumatic events we typically bleed on people and because your ladies are sharing your stories your prayers and that's a big thing to help other people you want to make sure it's sincere and it's not bleeding on other people so that healing part was absolutely necessary. Yes. That's awesome. I love it. Listen, y'all gonna have to get this book. And I I, I know I'm telling you, I'll say that so much because it, like you turn on the news and it's so depressing sometimes, you know, like another person or here we go with this. Oh my gosh, can we get a break? And right now, you know, honestly, we're living in a period of time where it's like, it's so much going on, right? I don't know about y'all, but I feel that way. And it's like, this is something that I don't want to have to think about every day as soon as my child walk out the door or get in the car or, you know, go to school or whatever the case may be. I don't want to have to think about this all the time. But in the world that we live in, we as Black mothers have to educate our kids, you know, how to, you know, respond if they get pulled over and, you know, how to put their hands up if they do and how to interact with the police officer or whoever it is just to avoid conflict. Like we have to add that extra education in order to keep our kids safe. Wow. Okay, Miss Newbie, go I, ahead. My um, getting on board, the ontology was somewhat unexpected. It was upon meeting Coach Rhea, we had a conversation and um, it was talking to her about situations. And she said to me, oh, you know, we're doing this anthology and, you know, we, you know, we're including women with their stories and their fears. And for me, was away from my children for a few years mm-hmm. and I left them um, in the care of relatives in Jamaica. I'm, I'm, I'm from Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And, um, during that time, initially you thought that it was something that you could maybe do 
But then over as, as time progressed, it became, a, it, it became a big struggle. I found myself um, thinking if my children would not want to have anything to do with me later down in life because of my absence. I'm happy that they were being taken care of, but as a, as a mother, the love um, and affection that we give to our children cannot be replaced by anyone. That was my story and that, it, that is what inspired me to share my story because along my journey, I met other women who, who, were, who had to make the sacrifice to leave their children as well. And then I realized I am not the only person in this situation. And we became support for each other. We'll talk to each other. We'll offer suggestions. And um, when I got the opportunity to talk about my fears for my children as a Black woman, and this is what, I mean, there, there are so many things that affect, there are so many fears that affect us overall as mothers, as Black mothers. But my particular story was one that I could speak of. And even in doing my story, it made me look back. Mm. It passed and was were even able to relate to my own mother, you know. So it was a great inspiration. And this is why I really wanted the opportunity to be able to share with other women who have experienced similar situation in past who are even going through and this is where I had found a way to deal with it and this is what I wanted to share with others even though we're, all our situations are different based on the circumstances but I know as women as black women as mothers our heart hurt just the same, our tears are just the same. And this mm -hmm. was a way for me to be able to share with someone else just to say, listen, it's hard, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I love it. Let me tell you what I really like about this. There's so many people out here hurting based off of what their parents did or didn't do. And one of the things you said was when you wrote this, you understood your mother better. Yeah. And that is so powerful because a part of the healing journey, right, is you're identifying things and you're realizing some feelings that you may not have had or had that lie dormant, but it's identifying, okay, the people who raised me were not perfect. However, I understood and I can release that and let that go. Now yeah. I can shift that energy because this is energy that goes into unforgiveness. Now I can shift that energy towards helping the people that need the help now. Right. Yes. And not focus on the, my energy on, you know, what did and did not happen. So I think that's a good, good opportunity to heal from our past traumas and identifying that. Amazing. Listen, seriously. <laughs> All right, Miss Rhea, let's talk about, we know that in the past, I want to say a year and a half, I think since February or maybe January 2020, we have really have seen an increase in kind of a shift in our culture when it comes to just what's going on in our society. It seems like there has been more exposure to what's going on in our society, which is causing just more outcries, more social justice is being demanded, 
even down to police being defunded. How has this and also your personal experiences really impacted you as a Black mother? If I can be completely honest, as I saw the events that took place, not even early as this year, as we know last year, we had George Floyd. Mm -hmm. We had Breonna Taylor. And there's so many others like them from different walks of life. Uh, we had our young children. And if I could be completely honest, you know, I was an emotional wreck because I was, I found myself constantly being in a state of fear. Mm -hmm. I have two young adult sons who uh, at the time were 19 and 20. And I have my husband. I have a young daughter who's 25 and they are very active on the streets. And, you know, we never know when these casualty could, could hit our home. So it, it caused me to be in a in living in fear. And this affected me not only emotionally, but mentally, physically, and also spiritually. There are so many events that we know that have taken place. And due to social media now, you know, and everyone having a phone and the, everyone connected to the internet, we are getting the raw footage. And this is, mm. this is very good because it's bringing a spotlight but once you see something, you cannot unsee it. So it could also cause you to be living in this state of anxiety. It could cause you again to have this increase of fear, you know. And earlier on this year, Dante Wright, a 20-year-old boy, he was killed, right? He's mm -hmm. the age of my son. And he was pulled off over, you know, for, for simply displaying an air freshener in the review um, mirror of his car. And, you know, it is a violation. But, you know, upon the, the cops stopping him, they realized that he also had uh, a warrant out. He's mm. 20 years old. He's a young father. I understand that he has a warrant. He did a crime or whatever it is that has that there. I'm not disputing that. And in fear, because our Black children, us as, as a whole, even myself, found myself behind the wheel of a car being pulled over by cops, and I was terrified. You know, we don't know if you're going to make it to the jail cell. You honestly don't know. That interaction with the cop could be your last, right? And he got fearful, and he decided to run. Mm -hmm. And that was the end of him. He was shot dead. That in itself, for me as a Black mother, that lay heavily on my heart. It caused me to, to you know, to really, uh, it ignited this, this hurt and this desire even more for this book. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm just one voice. I know that the body of us, you know, us 12 women, um, we are just, you know, a small body of people, but we're not alone. There are many other people throughout the world who are finding different ways to be instrumental so their voice can be heard so that we could eventually put a stop to this. And I am seeing some changes in the horizon. We have far to go, but as long as we put our, our foot forward and do not allow our voice to be silent, we are going to we are going to be able to silence this giant, this, go, mm -hmm. this Goliath in our life, whether it's racism, whether it's fear, we are going to be able to put a stop to it. And I am trusting God who has given me this mandate to write this book, to compile this book, that once 
we do our part. Once I do what he has instructed me, that he will do his part. And I know that this book is going to be able to touch lives. And, you know, um, that is what I want as a Black mother. To not just impact my home, but to impact the home of many other Black moms. And not just Black mom, but moms in general, because I need the non-Black community to understand what we as Black moms go through and how we deal with, with these issues day in, day out, which is very different from how they parent and how they, they, they have and what they have to worry about. And let me just, I want to take a side note real quick. The reason why I want to take a side note is because you brought up something that's very important. You know, a lot of people, you know, we talk about having allies and stuff like that. And you have to understand why this is so frustrating for African-American communities is because this is a skin that we're born in, right? It isn't something that we can just take off or, you know, put on. It isn't something that we choose to be. It isn't any of that. This is, this is who we are. And we are just being judged, criminalized, right? Institutionalized, systemized, just because of something we have no control over. And I know that that doesn't just happen in the African-American community. That happens in other diverse experiences as well. But the sad thing is, it's hard for people to get that, to understand that, because that's not their reality, where you're walking into a place and you're wondering if you're following me, me because I'm this color, or you know, if you're treating me this way because I sound like this, or if you're talking to me because you think I'm uneducated. That is the biggest challenge that we face sometimes as African-American or in communities, because it's, it's will you judge me based off something that I can't even change. Yes. And you have some people who who trying to to change it, right? You have some people who go through their lens because we are no colorism exists in our African American or any brown skinned community, and you have people who go through great lens to try to change that. And the question is, when do we or when can we educate you to understand that you know, although this is something that you may not, you may not think about every single day, this is our reality. And that's why it can be challenging for us. Yes. I love that. I love it. I love it. Seriously. Leslie Ann, tell us, tell us how have these experiences and things that's going on in our society, how has that impacted you as a Black mother? Oh, the impact, the impact. You know, I wrote my story. <laughs> and my story was pertaining to the gang relations, the fear of my son being a part of the gang. And, you know, I touch on the Tesria, Tesria, that we were having a discussion and she said, you know, what's the funny thing? Our fear changed from stage to stage. <laughs> In middle school, I was so concerned about the gang. My son is now 24 years old. So a new fear can creep up, which is the racism, the, the, the injustice that is out there. He's striving, he's out in the road, he's at work and the fear of him making it back home is our concern now. But um, again, with Mr. George Floyd, you know, his life and his death, changes has come and I thank God for that. Unfortunately, it had to take one of our fathers, son, brother, to make this change possible for us, you know? And I thank God that something, the wind is changing. 
And I know we have to stay, we have to stay beating this iron, why is this hot? Because it's been too long. Our lives been sniffed out and nobody being held accountable for it. It's been too long. And this, this new system of things, I pray, that is the beginning of us actually having a voice again as human, as, as humans, because I feel society do not see us as humans. And that's the sad part. It's so sad that we mix with so many people and our culture, our nationality, our color, my people are always deemed at the bottom of the barrel, always in every society, in every group, I find that my black brothers and sisters, myself, we are at the bottom of the barrel. And it's due to no cause of our own. Sometimes really, it has nothing to do with what we do or don't do. It's just the color of our skin. And I feel like that is where we are right now, but a change is coming. A change is coming and I have to believe that. I can't believe we're gonna stay the same way forever. It has to change. This racism situation has to change. This system has to change. I am in total agreement with you. It absolutely has to change. Like we're we're kind of talking. I'm a big Tupac fan. I love me some Tupac. And I I remember him doing like a, in, an interview and he gave an analogy of we are at we're coming to a hotel, we're hungry. We knock on the door, they open the door. We're like, we're hungry, we need some food. And then, they, you know, they shut the door in the face. Then we come back and he changed the rhythm. Like, we hungry, we need some food. Like, come on, the sense of urgency. Then they came back and it was like, you know, he used some negative tone. So I'm not going to put that here. But it was like, okay, we about to take it. And I think the generations that's like the millenniums and the generations that's under us are tired of seeing this stuff. And they're starting to do more about it, you know, and hopefully, you know, with all the protests and everything that's going on, it's done in a helpful way. But, you know, you get tired after a certain time or a certain point, And it's like, what else can we do to make change happen? So that is the question. We want to make sure our, our children remain safe. Miss Deborah, tell us your perspective. Tell us about what is it or how have the societal events changed you or shaped you or the thoughts you have as a black mother? So as my story was written of my life as a teenage black mother, I've noticed that provisions has been made for teenage moms of other ethnicity, but the black teenage mom has to go through the struggle. There's not much support. There is a different, there's different rules for black teenage moms or provisions are made for some and not the other, one ethnicity and not the other. And that was a struggle for me because I had to, I had to find my way to get back to school with no, no help from society at all in the islands. And um, I had my family, but they were busy. And at one point I had to stop going to school because no one was around to help with the baby. It's a lot of disadvantage for, for young women of color as well. Young mothers, young black mothers, and I'm one of them. And then I want to also touch on black 
being a black mom of a black son. My son um, is 26 years old, he's married, and he has been, he lived in the United States as well. And he's been dealing with racism on a level where his wife is white, so we have a blended family. And when he go into stores with his credit card, you know, he's asked so many questions. The manager would come out all because, you know, he he's carrying around, you know, these special credit cards. And if his wife goes, they, they want his ID. They would never ask for her ID. They'll just take his card. So, and as a black mother, that hurts. And I would... I would like to see changes to all, all those things. So it sounds like when it comes to, for you, when we're talking about how this is impacting you as a black parent, it yeah. sounds like the, there's no justification None. for your son who is in a biracial marriage to, yes. you know, have to be questioned yes. when he's with his wife, wife yes. about like the type of cars that he has to carry right. and they're second guessing who he is. So he's being treated unfairly. It sounds like not just based off his skin, but also based off of his interracial marriage. Marriage. Okay. So, so we don't even have the freedom to marry who we want to. Exactly. Even like in their, um, where they live, some mm. of the na- most of the neighbors are predominantly white and it's the same thing. You know, they would say hi to her. And then when it comes to him, even with myself too, I've found people like, you know, fidgeting in the, in the elevators and stuff like we would, like all black would rub off on them. Mm, like, so you know, when up. is, yeah. Like when is all this going to stop, you know? Yeah. It's because of the color of our skin. That is just, it's just deep it, and it is very sad, but yeah, yeah. So, you know, having children of age and seeing them being mistreated, you know, just by neighbors or people who are supposed to be friendly to them is very, very hard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Miss Rhonda, you're up. So how have everything that's been going on, how has that impacted you as a black mother? Unlike the other authors, I live in Trinidad, but racism and all the pain that goes with it has not bypassed us here. There is racial divide. It used to be very subtle. You know, there was a pretense that, you know, it didn't exist. But with the recent turn of events, it's become more marked. One of the things that I've noticed is that when I go on social media, you know, there's a there's clear distinction through names and so forth that would alert you as to who is who. And predominantly, there's a lot of racial slurs being directed towards African people. In Trinidad and Tobago, as with, I know that we are not singular with that, is that there's a disproportionate distribution of wealth. And you would notice that poverty, you know, it seems to be present among black people a little more than the other races. There's some being marginalized because of their color of their skin. There is injustice. Even with the police service, you know, sometimes you are judged because, you know, African people tend to have certain hairstyles. You know, you are made, you are targeted because of your hairstyles and because of the stereotypes that are attached to these. Um, I would say that recently, my, my children are of mixed 
descent. And even that brings fears with it because, you know, I, you know sometimes when you, you may be trying to find yourself as a young person, trying to um, mark your own pathway, pathway, sorry, um, just be you, just being uniquely you. I have a son who is a Rastafarian and although he's mixed, I have had my moments where I, I've had fears that he would be marked because of his hairstyle. So this is something that we too have to deal with here. Outside of that, you know, social media has opened us up to the world, you know, where you could actually, it's like you can actually see in everyone else's backyard. So I'm aware of all of the racial divide and the injustice that have taken place. You know, when I hear names like Trevon Martin, it's not unknown to me. When I hear George Floyd, it's not unknown to me. When I hear Brianna Taylor, it's not unknown to me. You know, their names mean something to me because their name has a story attached to it. And it's, you know, it's so sad that whatever they would have contributed to the world has been mad by the way that they died rather than by the way that they live. In a perfect world, there would be no racial injustice whatsoever. An ideal world, and that is the world that I wished that my children would have grown up in. I wish that they would have been able to keep their innocence, that this is not a fear that I would have to carry. And I carry it because the world is, is their oyster. And there is no guarantee that they're going to remain in Trinidad for their entire life. They are, they are educated because I've been working really hard and praying really hard to break generational curses. They are educated. And I know that really there is no limit to where they can go and who they can be. But even now, if I hear my son talk about migrating, I feel that sense of fear sometimes that it would have that it would arise because of what is currently taking place in the world. So I really wish that things could be different. I wish that the world could be a better place, not just for my children, you know, for all the children in the world. I think about my grandchildren. I have no grandchildren as yet, but I think about the world that they are going to be birthed into. And I see this anthology as my contribution towards making this world a better place for them. I see this as, as an way that I can express myself and allow my voice to be heard. And it's a way for me to let my children know as well that I'm invested in their future. I'm invested in their future and I want to leave a world behind that they can live in peaceably and not be judged by the color of their skin, where they can receive the same opportunities that everyone else is able to access a world where they can feel safe, where they can feel comfort, comfortable, where they can feel happy. That's the world that I would like to, that I would like them to be exposed to. And I'm thankful for this because this anthology, because sometimes we could be in a bubble. Sometimes we could be in a bubble, not totally oblivious, but sometimes you can feel as though something will never come home to you. But this anthology working with the other authors has opened up the reality of what they are exposed to, what they are living on a daily basis. And 
I realize that, you know, when you really think about it, we're not different. We are not on different playing fields. We are on the same playing field and these are our issues. We, this, you know, we cannot set our part from ourselves apart from what is taking place. And I'm just thankful that, you know, we are getting an opportunity to leave a mark, a positive mark that says that, you know, we are bigger than the color of our skin. Our, the color of our skin does not define us. It does, it, you know, it, 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 it doesn't mean that, you know, we cannot, we cannot do things. We cannot achieve things. We cannot, we cannot make an impression. So my prayer is that my children's voice will be heard. I, my prayer is that they will make their mark on the world. My prayer is that they will not be stereotyped. My prayer is that they will be allowed just simply to live, just mm -hmm. to live. Your whole, that whole speech was go get your collection plate right now and write this down because one of the things that you said was so powerful to me was it's not just about me. It's not just about my children. It's about my children's children's children. Now, how long is this going to go on? Are we going to see this throughout our great, our grandkids, our great grandkids lives? Like, and then the, another thing you said that was very powerful was the namesake. You know, are people being judged based off their names? And how unfair is that? Um, if your name is, you know, I, my, one of my kids' name is Raekwon. And, you know, uh, immediately when you see that name, people are like, you know, I already know the race, I already know the color of his skin. And that is so unfair to judge someone off of. So it's just bringing light to that perspective of being able to raise your kids how you want to without worrying about the stereotype that it would create just because somebody under, doesn't understand their name. That is, that is very, 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 very powerful because it just makes you think beyond now. Does that make sense? It makes you think beyond you. So while Miss Tennishaw, how has this impacted you as far as just being a black mother, what what did it do? What did it create for you? Well, for me, it's what what's going on in our world today as it relates to you know, or the, in the black society, the injustice that's happening. It's it's heartbreaking. Um, my my eldest, he's sixteen, and I look at it that in the way that my son behaves as a sixteen year old, he He's more childish in terms of attitude, but he's tall. He's like six feet two. He's tall. And someone looking on will see this tall young man. And, but in the, in, in the same breath, he is very gentle and he's very innocent in his thoughts, in his actions. And many times I think about the fact is if he should go out there, if he's in the street and maybe you know some confrontation for whatever reason with anyone and they'll just look at him as this tall black kid and hurt him considering but his spirit and his nature is nothing of the sort that is aggressive and many times that worries me for for you know for my my, my son in particular it's but when you think about the overall what is happening overall there's so many mothers who are scared to having their daughters out there 
their sons out. And it's like, I have to speak about our sons mainly because they're, they're, they're just, they're targeted by, they're targeted not just by the police, they're targeted by other gangs, young men who are in gangs. And, and it, what, is, what is also sad is um, we have a lot of young people, young men who are in these gangs who are 16, 13, 14, 15, who should not be in situations as such, you know, they, and for whatever reason that led them to be there where they believe that they have no one and this is what they have to do. It is, it is sad. It is sad. And, it, you know, it, so I just think that as my sister speak earlier, you know, we can't just think about our own children and ourselves, but in the same breath, we have to be keepers for other children. You know, we have to be keepers for each other because, um, you know, if we see something, say something, you know, just don't see something happening and not try to help or not try to, to intervene in any way, you know. But I do hope, I do hope that um, as time go by, goes by and um, people are, you know, even in, in what we're doing now, where this is an eye-opener to not just the Black society, but otherwise, and, you know, where people are speaking up and people are trying to help, you know, and we're trying to be there for each other. So, you know, I hope that as, as time progresses, that things really get better. Yes. I love it that you're saying your son is, is your baby. L listen, my kids are all fully grown and every last one of them is my babies, right? 25, 21, and soon to be 20. They're considered my baby. So although you have this, you know, child that's 16, who is not quite fully developed in his brain and he's growing physically, he's not even man enough or, you know, in a position to be considered a man fully, but yet he's being judged by that. And so then we have the community. Again, it's not just, we definitely have to deal with the police and all that, but it, we're also dealing with our community too, as far as like the gang violence or the, the crimes that's happening in between us and really yeah. resolving it from there. Now, this leads me to my next point. Now we're getting into you ladies having your own specific prayers. And I don't want y'all to say y'all prayers because they need to get the book. They need to get that, you know, pay for, your, pay for your book to get the prayers. But what I do want you to do is tell us how your specific prayers have helped or has helped you with overcoming the fear and walking boldly and standing in the gap for your children. Rhea, we'll start with you. I mean, as a woman of faith, you know, I do know that prayer is the secret weapon and we're dealing with a secret fear. But I want to share that while I was going through my secret fear, which at the time what I shared in this anthology, it was the fear of my son being killed by a cop behind the wheel. To be honest, he had approached me and he said to me that, mommy, I want to buy a car. He was 19. And that should have been a really great moment for me, but it wasn't. I found myself um, in fear of all the what if. And as we know, uh, this took place last year and it ignited a new fear within me. And if I can be completely honest, I did not remember to pray. I let this fear fully take over to the point where I found myself like a hidden enemy in his life because I was secretly rooting for him not to be successful. And that, for me, 
as who I am as a woman of God, as a proud mother, and as an empowerment coach who helped push people to the next level, um, it was an eye-opener for me. And I had to pray. God reminded me that this is not your child. This is my son. I gave him to you. I entrusted him to you. And I had to remember that. I had to put all my faith in God and I had to first ask for forgiveness. And then I had to give it back to God and say in God that he is your child. And I have to trust the God who has seen him through many trials, many ups and downs, to have him at this particular junction in his life where he's growing and, and sowing, that you're gonna see him true. The God who allow him to pass that, that, that exam, that road test, and, and enable him with a job to save that money and plan that vision within him, that you are gonna protect him. And I had to surrender it all to God. And in my chapter, I shared my prayer and I shared how instrumental praying was. And I shared some holistic methods as well. But to be honest, those holistic methods came because I'm a coach and I know that it could really help the reader. But all I did was pray and my breakthrough came. I fell on my knees and I surrendered all to God. And I am being 100% honest when I said within that moment, God healed me from that fear. He relieved me from that emotional and mental fatigue and stress that I was going through. And then when he brought this anthology to me, he said to me that I am to write that prayer after I write my chapter, and he instructed me to write about this chain of events. And he said, every mom is to write their prayer. And that was when it dawned on me. And, you know, this was when the mission and the vision for this book was really taking shape and God was giving me clarity. So this prayer that I put in there, it was a prayer that God gave me, a prayer that I prayed to God. And I know that it helped me. You know, and I know that, again, it's coming back to this anthology because this is what everything is founded on. It's packed with 12 powerful prayers. And I know that it is going to, again, heal, deliver, and set free. And I am very thankful to God for that prayer that he put in me and for the prayer of every other mother that is within this anthology. Yes, um, that, listen, it's really a way, like you said in the beginning of this, is to stop trying to control it through your fears, right? Stop trying to allow your kids to be the casualty of your own fears and really begin to trust God with who he gave you to watch over, you know? So really, yes. really begin, like you said, something very interesting in that situation you realize that you did not pray. So it's like really going back to the basics. And as soon as you step out or, you know, you're in the house, making sure that you're covering and praying over your children so that you're not taking on God's role, right? A lot of times we take on God's role or we sometimes simply forget, but we, for, we really forget to transfer our faith to God as opposed to trying to control our fears and worries. So this book, is very transformational. 
and will deliver you. Because some people are up at night. Like I can close my eyes and see this. Some people are up at night and cannot sleep because they're worried about their children. You know, they're worried about, are they going to be okay? And where are they at? And they're constantly just, you know, losing sleep, which is ultimately impacting their health because they are unable to just rest in God when it comes to their children, especially people who've had things happen to their children before, you know, like, I don't want anything else to happen to my kids. So I'm doing everything to protect them. And again, we're getting into that casualty of fear based off past experiences. And we're learning how to really, really trust God. So Ms. Deborah, really talk about your prayer. Talk about how has your prayer helped you as a black mother? So with my prayer, I had to learn at a very young age, I had to surrender it all because I couldn't do it alone. I couldn't be a single, uh, I mean, a, a young teenage black mother, you know, and not, and not rely on God. So I had to basically surrender it all to him and just ask him to direct me. You know, I had to ask for forgiveness because I, I had a child. Um, at an early age. And I started then to, I offered him my children. I, well, it was my daughter at the time. I just had to give her back to him in prayer and rely on him to direct me on how I should raise her. I had fears of her, um, you know, became, becoming a single, a young teenage mother as well. And that I had to ask God for direction how to deal with it. And eventually as time go by, I became better. But in the moment I, I made her life miserable because I was scared. I was, I was so fearful of her becoming a teenage mom like myself because statistic has shown um, teenage moms go on to have um, children of teenage moms um, sometimes end up being teenage mothers also. So, um, my prayer is really about surrendering it all, giving her back to him and um, and healing. From there, we were able to turn another leaf and um, go on to have a better life. And all it's all because of my prayer and my obedience to God. And in turn, I can pray for other mothers, young mothers, young teenage mothers, for their lives to change like mine has also. Mm. And now I'm the proud mother of three beautiful children. I didn't have to worry. I don't have to worry anymore because two are adults and the 16 year old through that prize, I know she would follow in her brother and sister footsteps mm. and they're successful people. And, um, and that's where we are. But I not only pray for my children, but I pray for everybody's children. Amen. I love it. I, I, the biggest part is just really, you know, both you and Rhea said the forgiveness, you know, we are in situations and we forget that, you know, we may be causing more harm than good. Sometimes I know that I can be very anxious and then it causes my kids to be very anxious. And so again, that casualty of fear, we're wrapping up and we're getting our kids involved in it and it doesn't need to be that way. Absolutely. So we're going to talk, we're going to switch it over to Miss Leslie Ann. Tell us your prayer. How did that help you? My prayers help because I'm a firm believer that prayer changes things. It really do. And that's the only resource I have. 
the only resource I have is to go to God in prayer. That's my show, my go-to. Um, and I remember in the beginning, I used to pray and in all honesty, praying and worrying. I used mm. to pray and I used to worry. And until, you know, at some point it turned where I started to see things happening that I was praying for. And then I had to stop and say, why are you pray, worrying and praying at the same time? Do we not trust God to hear and answer the prayer? And if we trust him to hear and answer it, he will do good by us, right? So why are we worrying still? So I started to pray for wisdom, you know, to raise this young man that God has blessed me with in the sense of knowing, to have a discerning heart to know right from wrong. For if I know right from wrong, now I can teach him right from wrong. You can't teach what you don't know. So I prayed, my prayer was always about God, give me the wisdom to raise this child that you have given me, that you have given me stewardship over. And he has not failed me yet. God, nor my son. So I have always asked for wisdom and I have received what I asked for. Amen. <laughs> I love it. Um, so really just being able to like stop worrying, start trusting, and then ultimately you will get what you're asked for if you do that. All right, Miss Rhonda, tell us your story. Tell us how your particular prayer has helped you as a Black mother. I can't see myself, sorry, outside of God. To be quite honest, sometimes I feel like if I don't know where he ends and where I begin. And I'm so really grateful that I've been able to grow past my fears of losing my children, that fear of loss. I'm so grateful to God for that healing and for that deliverance and that breakthrough. As a believer, I've matured and God has given me insight that I never had before. And now I'm able to understand that there's a spirit behind everything. Fear is natural, it's instinctive, and it has been inbuilt in us by God as a defense mechanism. So it's, I know that it's okay to be afraid and to express my fear, but when it becomes oppressive and debilitating, that's a whole different matter. This knowledge has helped me to see my fears in a new light. And I was able to discern that my fears were crippling to me and stifling to my kids. And I began to pray against the spirit of fear. And in praying against the spirit of fear, it's like, it's like I was able to zero in on exactly where the root or the power that was feeding my fears were coming from. It was coming from a, you know, it was coming from a spiritual place, but not from a place that would have allowed me to grow and flourish and take care of my children with, with peace of mind. I realized that, you know, this was something that was oppressive. It was something that would only bring destruction. And I thank God that he opened my eyes and allowed me to see it from a spiritual perspective. Because for me, that's what made the difference, being able to see it from a spiritual place. So, you know, I, I'm, I've come to the place now where I am trusting God with everything that is in me. And I trust him so much now that I'm able also to be accepting. I'm able now to know that there are some things that really I have no control over and I just have to surrender it to him. It could go the way that I would love it to go or it could go a complete different way. But I'm at the place in my life where I've come to the point where I'm able to say, you know, God, 
whatever it is your will, just give me the grace so that I'll be able to accept it. But I'm doing all that I can from a position of prayer to be able to change things because I know that it starts in the spirit. Everything that happens, it starts in the realm of the spirit. And I know that if there are some things that if I re remain prayerful and watchful and keep my, keep my ear to God's mouth, that I'll be able to change simply with the power of prayer. So I'm thankful for the vehicle of prayer. I'm thankful that God, you know, that he's not closed off from us, that we can access him anytime, anytime. His doors are always open. His ears is always open. His eyes is always upon us. And that's where my reassurance comes from. That's where my faith is resting on. And I thank God that he has brought me to this place because life is unpredictable. There is no certainty with life. All we can do is ask God to help us and give us the strength that whatever may come our way, that we'll be able to endure. That's it for me. It basically, it's just trusting God and remaining prayerful. Did you say that's it for you? That is a powerful <laughs> statement. <laughs> Um, I, I think one of the thing that was really amazing was how you really broke down fear because a lot of people don't understand that fear is a natural emotion, right? It's a protector. Like you said, it's a, it's a protector. Yes. And sometimes we get so debilitated when it comes to that fear that we either do nothing or we just mm -hmm. do too much, right? We're just on the other side of it. Is that fight or flight kind of response? And then you were able to say to yourself, you know, you had to trust God with that. And just really, but but I think it's like one thing to trust God, which is very powerful and important because like you said, it's in the spiritual realm that we're really fighting versus the, what we see. But the other thing is also identifying the natural things. So sometimes we don't want to be so spiritual that we're not operating naturally either. And that natural part is to say, hey, you need to recognize and identify that you're, this is a fear. This is fear, yes. right? And then you need to address it accordingly. accordingly. You don't have to allow fear to control you, right? But you can, you can acknowledge that you are afraid. And then what you can do is take that fear and allow God to deal with it. So that is very, very, very powerful because it's, it's flipping it. it. It's almost like how much relief do you get when, you know, you have a hard job or a hard assignment and your, your supervisor or someone come in and go, you know what, you want me to do that? Do you mind if I take them? And you're like, oh, please just, you know, this is driving me up the, the wall. That's what we're doing with God. You know, we're trying to manage it all, figure it all out. We're trying to, we're working extra hours. We're staying over late. You know, we're doing overtime. We, we're there on the weekend and God comes in and say, you want me to do this? And it's like, oh, God, please take this. That's what we have to do when it comes to our children. Not that we don't continue to parent them. You know, that's our job and our role. But it's just trusting God. That's what happens when we trust God with our children. That's yes. amazing. Tennis off. Tell us how your prayer has helped you in your parenting as a Black mother. I struggled with a lot of guilt. I sometime worried that I wasn't being I was not a good mom I struggled with 
depression at some point where I just didn't want to eat. I was just so sad. I was sad a lot of times saying on asking God to help me, to strengthen me. Because when there, there are moments, there were moments when I felt like I couldn't even pray. There were moments I felt like the words that I was saying to God, it wasn't getting anywhere. And I was able to find strength in being open about how I'm feeling because there are times when I was going through my depressed mode, but I didn't want anyone to know. So I would smile and I would pretend like everything was okay. But when I started opening up about how um, I was truly feeling and encouragement came in and I was able to start encouraging myself too, where I will remind myself that, listen, it's not as bad because I use my own, my own fear cause my own guilt. When in truth, things were not as bad as my mind was telling me. So my prayer basically was able to strengthen me. And this helped me along the way to be able to, to even speak now about my situation. And I can share my situation. You know, I say it's my truth. There are times when I felt like I didn't want anyone to know what was happening. But the truth is, it's not things that you cause on your own. It's not emotions that you cause on your own. You didn't cause your own hurt. But many times we are embarrassed to talk about it. It was a way for me to get past or deal with my anxiety and my depression. So that is a good plug-in right there, the guilt and the shame that we experience when we are dealing with our kids for feeling like maybe the things we did not do or could have done better um, and the guilt kind of rides in and then overtake us sometimes and remind ourselves to trust God with those prayers. So that's absolutely amazing. Now we're going to get into talking about, you know, Ria, I want you to really talk about more about what's next with the book, what's next with you, and then how our listeners can find and connect with you. So what's next with the book is that we are preparing to do our bestseller campaign. I'm very excited about that because I know that this book is needed. I know that it's going to generate lots of sales and I know that we are going to dominate and we are going to become number one bestselling authors on Amazon. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I also have our BIP panel discussion coming up on August 28th. It's going to be live on Facebook. It's going to um, be on each and every one of our Facebook pages. And we are really coming to bring the faith more in, uh, I would say, a physical way because, yes, I'm posting the pictures of the authors. But now we're going to be, even though it's virtual, you're going to be um, able, or I should say the viewers are going to be able to see the faith of these authors, you know, in, in, in real and also hear our voices as we uh, share more about the inspiration about this anthology and what we hope for this anthology to really do. So I'm very excited about that. And then, you know, we're all going to be planning our individual lunch, um, um, I guess, somewhere around September or so. And, you know, as you know, Janelle, I'm all, I'm all about impacting the life of others. And God put this mandate on my life 
um, for this year, and I, and I do believe it's going to be something that I'm going to be doing every year, I am going to be birthing three anthologies. So this is the first of three, and I'm currently looking for Black men, and I'm currently working for people of all walks of life to join me with my two upcoming anthologies. So one is called Freedom Starts in the Mind, As a Man Thinketh, Such is He, and um, this really helps people to break free from that mental slavery mindset that they may be walking around um, being trapped in so that they can live their purposeful and purpose-driven life. Again, everything that I do is faith-based, and we know that that life is the life that God has, you know, destined for us to live. And the second book is called 2020, The Year All the Lemons Were Served, Finding Optimism During a Pandemic. And this book, it highlights the brighter side of the pandemic by showing how, how, how strong and, and, and optimistic some people are in the midst of chaos. And as a result of that, they are able to strive and grow. So this book is supposed to really help motivate others who are less driven or who perhaps uh, are stuck in their comfort zone, rise up and, and to be able to see that in the midst of chaos, if you have the right mindset, that you could still be able to strive and grow. And again, as you know, I'm a certified coach, and I'm really hoping that I will um, be back in the school again with my after school program. So these are the things that I have going on right now. And for those of you who are listening, if you would like to know more about me, you could definitely visit my website at www.darapublishing.co. You could also find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You know, you could just look up my name, Rhea Rodney, or you could look up my company, Dara Publishing, and you will be able to find me on these platforms. So this is what um, is happening right now with the book. This is my future plans, as well as how you can find me. So thank you so much. You're absolutely welcome. All right, make sure y'all connect with her because she has a lot of wonderful things that is happening. And I think the thing that's really remarkable about what she does is to break chains and really cause deliverance this is what's needed in our world today so please make sure you're connecting with miss ria next we're going to get into miss deborah miss deborah tell us what's next for you and where we can find you well i'm excited and looking forward to the book being launched and and release um it's really exciting to be a first time author in this case i'm co-author i'm hoping that I can get in to do a children's book after this and also a manual in newborn childcare. That's awesome. Now, how can our listeners connect with you? My name on Facebook is Debs, D-E-B-S, C. Carrington. My um, email address is A-C-E-M-A-H 07304 at gmail.com. That is awesome. Make sure you connect with her. Like she's going to do some big things, especially with children's in the children's sector and writing books. So please, please, please make sure you connect. Miss Leslie Ann, tell us what's next for you and where we can find you. Okay. Hi. You can find me at, on Facebook, Leslie Ann Jack on Facebook, um, Leslie Ann Jack at gmail.com. And hopefully we're taking this book to the schools 
because these stories are going to change life. There are mothers in those schools that need some encouragement, and we are here for it. We are here with this book to help as much women as we can break free of the constant fear. Please make sure you're connecting with Miss Leslie Ann um, so you can follow her and then go from there. Miss Rhonda, your turn. What's next for you? And then how can we find you? Now I can actually put a new position next to my name of author. And mm-hmm. I think that's, I'm thankful for that door that has opened. I usually write as a form of therapy. So I have a lot of material there that I'm really going to take a look at it. And I'm going to see about publishing some of those books. As I said before, I'm really passionate about childhood hunger. This really runs really deep with me. What I've been working on right now, because what we normally do is we give hampers to families that are in need. What I'm working on right now really is developing programs whereby I can help families to be able to sustain themselves. So that's something that I'm, that I'm really hoping to, to get into very, very soon. Also, God has been really speaking to me about the other side of the spectrum, which is childhood obesity. This also is something that I really, really, really plan on investing a lot of time and energy in because as we say, it's, it's all about our children. It's helping them to be their healthier selves. And I know that God has been tearing me in this direction. And I really want to be obedient to God. In the long term, my prayer is to be able to own and operate a mobile soup kitchen so that I can go to those who are hungry. And also in my interaction with the homeless, I really talk to them. I I seek to know their stories. I really want to be able to offer some of them a new lease on life. So my prayer also is to be able to open a halfway house so as to be able to house some of them and give them some of the amenities that they may need to be able to get back into society. Basically, that's it. It's, it's really about doing God's work. This book has also opened up a new platform for me whereby an experience that I had tucked away is now presenting itself as something that I can use to help others. So I plan to get into, into coaching alongside with my son, who I've already spoken to, hoping to be able to impact other children who have lost family members be it a parent, a sibling, a friend, through violence. And I can be contacted on Facebook at Breadbasket Ministry and also at Prophetess Rhonda Small Peters. Thank you. Thank you. You're going to be doing a lot of stuff. I, I mean, I really think it's all just, it sounds so fulfilling, but so helpful and so needed in the community. And I love that, you know, you're pulling your son in to really talk about how this anthology, this is the part of working with like great people like Rhea that really yeah. helps you because this anthology going back and writing that gave you the courage to share more of your story that sounds like it was a little hidden right so now we're able to help those who've had a parent or someone who lo- who was lost to tragedy so please 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 make sure you follow her make sure you get her information and go from there because it's going to be very helpful <coughs> Just make sure you follow every all the ladies on here so that you can get the information. Okay, so now we're actually going to get into Tanisa, like what she's doing, where you can find her at. My next step, and I must say, I'm very, very happy to be a part of um, this anthology, and I'm very privileged to be working with the other women who are a part and to be able to share 
in their story in this book. Um, my next step is I really always wanted to do some a children book. Doing this book as a co-author to this book has really pushed me now to take the next step with taking on um, my children book collection. I do have um, a few themes that I want to, advent, um, to explore. It is strong within my spirit too, to start an online support group for mothers who are taking care of their children from afar. Um, I am on Facebook. I, am, I use the name Sham, which is S-H-E-R-I-J-A-M. I'm also on Instagram, which is S-H-E-R-I underscore jam. And uh, my email is tennisonnewby at gmail.com. And I just want to say thank you, everyone, for the support that uh, we are getting so far. Now you have it. You have the opportunity or you've had the opportunity to hear some of the ladies from Coach Rhea's new book, The Secret Prayer of a Righteous Black Woman, the power of, I want you to really, listen, this, I, I just can see so much happening with this book, like beyond it, because this is a real thing. We want change. We want to see change, but a great way to actually feel and see change is if we can come together in prayer. That is something that is so important. So please make sure you stay tuned as you're going to hear more stories. We're going to do part three next week of the women who are going to share their stories and their prayers and how they were able to connect with this powerful anthology to help them really just provide you really with the power of a prayer. Okay. So once again, thank you for tuning into Girl You got this podcast and as always join us next week so we can listen to some more powerful women about their stories and we will talk to you soon take care bye-bye thank you for tuning in to janelle jones empowerment podcast please be sure to visit our website at janellejonesempowers.com that's Janelle, J-A-N-E-L-L, jonesempowers.com. There you'll be able to sign up for free information to help you live out your dreams.